Hi, I'm Nick Ninton, and welcome to Now to Next, the podcast where I interview some of the top experts and professionals all across the globe to talk about what's happening now and what you can expect next. One of the things I want to do is just talk about uh, what's going on right now. Obviously, we are in a strange time with you know everyone being quarantined, everyone being holed up uh, in their houses. And so I was talking with another friend the other day, and he was telling me about how what a hard time this is for addicts. And so uh, I realized that, well, people who are addicted to child pornography are also addicts, and just start, started thinking about sort of the repercussions of everyone being on their devices 24-7 for a period of multiple weeks. I knew I didn't have any statistics, but I was guessing there must be a spike in uh, in child exploitation online. So that's really why I wanted to do this. And uh, that's why I invited yourself and Tim on. Obviously, you're the director of aftercare at Operation Ground Railroad. While Tim tries to get on, you want to explain a little bit about uh, what OUR is and what you do? We are a nonprofit organization, and our main mission is to help assist law enforcement and government around the world to rescue children from human trafficking. We work in over 20 countries, and I work on the aftercare side. So as we're planning operations, we work hand-in-hand with the government and our operations team to make sure that we have a solid plan in place, both for the operation and then what's going to happen when the children are rescued and their long-term plan for care and to help on that healing path. Um, and then also to help with the long-term dreams of each child. Love it. Cool. Uh, and I have seen that in action. Uh, most people who are watching will know uh, some of the work we have done together uh, with OUR and, and even the film we're making right now. Uh, I'm going to stall for one more minute and get right into it. But uh, you know, right now we are making the film uh, in conjunction with you guys, uh, it's happening right here, all about human trafficking on American soil and what's happening right here in gated neighborhoods and upper middle class areas and lower income areas, just all across the country. And the thing I think that shocked me the most as I was doing work with you guys was I thought trafficking was something totally different. And, and not that what I thought about wasn't trafficking, but I was thinking about probably trafficking in the 80s and 90s, far before uh, things got really digital and online. And obviously there were still places where people, you know, do the old snatch and grab, kidnap somebody, try to get them, try to take them somewhere else. Uh, but from, as I was doing interviews for this film, it's happening right here. Uh, several people said, you got to think like a criminal, right? So if you're thinking like a criminal, what's riskier going and, you know, buying a white van with no windows, right? The proverbial like kidnapper van and like trying to drive around and find someone to kidnap and then take them somewhere else or, or just hiding behind the anonymity of your computer and, and doing things there. And so it made a lot of sense. So again, we'll wait for Tim. I'm sure Tim will be on here at some point. Tell me a little bit about the state of trafficking today. Again, the reason why we're doing this right now is to talk about what is happening and what the vulnerabilities are for parents who have their kids at home online 24 seven, particularly with the the loose lines of school now, every kid is pretty much in homeschool being quarantined. And so, and parents are having to work. I mean, they're having to do things and the kids are in the other room, but sort of uh, being in some cases monitored even less because the parent has to get their work done. So tell me a little bit about sort of the, what's happening and what trafficking looks like today. Yeah, Nick, I think you did a great job summarizing 
specifically because kids are being homeschooled right now. There's so much online vulnerabilities that have come. And because of that, traffickers are going to exploit that. And I think a lot of times parents don't realize that it does happen in our own backyards and sometimes in our own homes. And first of all, if parents are willing to have this conversation, it's an uncomfortable conversation. It's not something that uh, is normal for a lot of parents to talk about, especially because you have to talk to your kids at a younger age. But we no longer have the luxury of not talking to our children about it. So I would really recommend when kids are at home now and they are online nonstop to make sure that you're monitoring when you can. And then also having these conversations of what traffickers are doing and why they're doing it. Online is the platform that many traffickers are using. And they go into everything from group chats to private messages. This is Facebook. This is Instagram. This is even little kids, uh, different platforms such as Tonka Truck was one that came up recently where you have these little children that are on this app, but it has a messenger side of it too. So traffickers can say, send me a picture. What's your name? Where's your address? All these different things that people are trying to do in order to, to exploit children. Their goal is to get a picture of them, a video of them, and then they sell that. And that can be sold so quickly. And then it goes throughout many different nations, even where that child is being used in order for them to make money. And it was such an innocent start where they were just online and they thought that they were talking with someone that cared about them or was their own age. And actually, they're doing grooming behaviors. Yeah, so there's a lot of things to talk about here because it's crazy really what this what this looks like. So here's a scenario that I give people that I got from some of the and, – and you can validate whether I'm going too far or not. So here's how I'm looking at it. Okay, so 14, 15, 16-year-old kid, let's say. Let's say 14, 15, 16-year-old boy. Pretty easy one to do. That, that gets a message, a Snapchat, a FaceTime – or sorry, a, a message on Facebook or an Instagram message. Instagram is probably what they're using the most right now. So let's say an Instagram, a, a DM, right? It's all the kids like DMs, the direct messages. And so let's just put it this way. Um, there's a really, it's a 16 year old boy and there's a really attractive girl, 18 or 19, maybe, maybe even 20, but let's just keep it close in age. So just a couple years apart. And let's say, let's say legal of legal age. And, and the, the 16 year old boy posts some posts. You can tell he's seeking a bit of attention right? Um, and he posts and a, then he gets a DM from a girl says, wow, you're really cute. And it's like, Sent, here's a picture of me. You know, my name is Tiffany. And it's like, oh, cool. And so sometime over the course of depending on the aggressiveness of the, the person on the other side of the screen from the 16-year-old and, and the responses of the 16-year-old boy, it might be three minutes, it might be three hours, it might be three days, it might be three months, or it might be three years. But essentially, the six, the 18-year-old the girl, we're going to call Tiffany, is starting to send more uh, precarious pictures uh, with less clothing on to the boy and saying, hey, send stuff back. And eventually, there becomes a time when it's sort of go time where a picture comes in and the girl, the 18-year-old the girl on the other side of the 16-year-old boy's phone is saying, hey, I want to send you a nude picture. If you and she's getting less, if you send me one, I'll send you one. 
And then from that moment, that boy, because it's a, it's a 16 year old boy, let's be honest, 16 year old boys are 16 year old boys. A lot of people say my kid's smarter than that. Let, let me tell you, I've been a 16 year old boy once before. If some soup, I don't know what I would have done. If some super attractive girl was trying to show me things that my brain was going off with dopamine, like cocaine, that's what pornography does. I'm sure I probably would have made some bad decisions. Even if you have a good kid, these people are professionals because here's the bad thing. And again, Jess, you can validate me or tell me if I'm wrong. Tiffany, that 18-year-old girl on the other side is probably Harry, who's 53-year-old man living in Des Moines, Iowa or something, who downloaded a bunch of images off the internet of the same girl and has been sending them methodically to the 16-year-old boy, trying to get the 16-year-old boy to give a photo away that has him in a precarious position with his being new private parts, whatever it is. And then from the moment he has that picture, am I, am I far off so far? Nope. You are right on Nick. Yeah. And so from the moment he has that picture, he says, Hey, guess what? Six year old boy. I'm not who you thought I was. I'm gives fake name or whatever. And here's the deal. I now have a naked picture of you or even worse, a naked video of you or whatever else. Okay. And if you don't do everything I tell you to do, I'm going to share that video with all your friends on Instagram. I'm going to email it to everyone at your school. I'm going to email it to your principal. I'm going to email it to your parents. I'm going to email it to everyone you know, and you are going to be deathly embarrassed, right? And so this is this is what happens. And, and here's the thing. If we get nothing else across on this entire thing, here's what I would love for people to understand. These are hard conversations to have with your kids. You don't want your kids to make mistakes, but I... I don't know of any kid who doesn't make mistakes. I think I was a pretty good kid. I'm sure you're a pretty good kid, but I made mistakes. And the, this guy behind the phone who's trying to lure in this boy, or in the other cases, it'll be someone behind the phone trying to lure in a girl. They are professionals. This is what they do. I mean, you've seen even more than I have. These people are fishing nonstop all day, trying to get someone to release this post, all they want is that photo, that one thing, that one video. And it's this moment, it is this moment when you're, whether you will know whether your parenting worked or not. Because here's the thing you have to tell your kids if you make a mistake, even if you make a dumb mistake like this, and even spell it out, if you do something stupid like sending your picture, a naked photo of you, a picture of you doing something foolish or a video. As embarrassing as it, is, as it is, once you realize that's happened, first of all, if you tell them what could happen, hopefully it doesn't, but they're still probably going to fall for some stuff. You say, all right, when that happens, do they come to you and tell you, I made a mistake, I'm embarrassed, or do they go into a life of making, as you know, hundreds or even thousands more bad decisions because they're being bribed into doing live videos online, doing sexual things or sending more pictures, or even now, Zoom which is an amazing platform everyone is using right now. Zoom is being used to sell tickets to live child exploitation that's happening because it's encrypted. These are all terrible things, but one bad decision, one bad decision that would be easy for a teenager to make because they don't always think with their brain uh, can lead them into a life of what you see on the other side of, of, of I mean, of destruction, essentially. Why don't, uh, so first of all, validate, tell me where I'm wrong, give me some other scenarios. And then also, I'd love to get into talking about what happens on the, on the other side of this as well, because you deal with all the aftercare once people have been rescued and saved from this. And let's talk about that scenario, how likely it is, and maybe yeah. a, a, a couple others. 
Well, Nick, first of all, I like that you brought up a boy. And I think sometimes people forget that this happens to boys as well. We see this in the U.S. We see this all around the world that boys are still at risk of being exploited in these types of ways. And every teenager makes a mistake. Like, like you said, there are, I've made mistakes in my life. We all do as we're growing and we're learning. And so I just want to echo what you said about having these conversations with your kids and really making them feel like if they make a mistake in these ways that they can come to you. And I think that even saying that directly when you're having these conversations with your kids, this is what can happen. This is what people are looking for. They might not believe you at first, but when you have that additional conversation, if something does happen, come to me, I will help you figure it out because the blackmail that happens once they have these videos and these pictures is devastating to them. And the long-term ramifications are sometimes the pictures and videos are very difficult to take down, even with all of the technology and the resources that the world has, these images often, it, it just, it's very difficult to get them taken down. So include that in your conversation with your kids. Well, talk about that for a second, because how much it, it, when something gets on the internet, because of now all these, uh, all these different websites that have hidden, uh, you know, offshore, whatever, uh, encrypted files, the dark web, all that. Once a picture like that is digital and lives digitally, um, talk about how, I mean, well, let's just, once it starts getting shared everywhere, there's like not one place. Think about it. There's not one place you can just go and it's like file sharing music. When, when Napster came out, like now YouTube has, has like a, a, an algorithm to try to recognize different songs and stuff like that. I got you, Tim. All right, cool. Tim is coming on right. talking. We got Jessica. We got Tim Ballard. Tim is uh, the founder of Operation Underground Railroad, this amazing organization. And Tim, I just got to say, I'm sort of surprised my wife still likes you and lets me hang out with you because all the most dangerous places in the world I've been with you. Uh, I've even got my little, uh, I got my bulletproof vest right there from when we did the raid in Haiti. I've got, uh, you took me to Colombia, and I would say Medellin, not my favorite city. Uh, and then we just got back from Iraq. So Tim and I yeah. spent a ton of time together. Uh, and Jessica and I spent a ton of time together. She typically cleans up our messes. So uh, we're glad to have Jessica around as well. But so, Tim, we're just walking through sort of the, the current realities of trafficking, of being lured into doing things online. I gave sort of a, a, a scenario of like a little of a 16-year-old boy getting lured in by an 18-year-old girl, uh, allegedly an 18-year-old girl, right, uh, on um you know, being lured into giving away pictures. It's probably a 58 year old man somewhere in Des Moines, Iowa. And then he has, he has this and what happens now he has this picture. Jessica was just going into sort of the dangers of, of how impossible it is to get some of this stuff off of the internet. Um, and so I was just asking her, since you just joined us, uh, tell me a little bit about that. When, when an image goes online, we were just talking about like a, like a song when Napster came out and people were file sharing peer to peer it's almost impossible to get rid of that to get that off. So tell us a little bit about sort of sort of that problem. Yeah, it's it's exactly right. I mean, once 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 it's out there, it's it's gone uh, from your control, um, and and it's used over and over again. I mean, we there's back when I started seventeen years ago, uh, there's these series of these children, and this the, the the survivors of of those those acts are now you know, in their thirties, forties. And it's, it's, 
there's nothing they can do. They're, they're haunted by this forever. Once the picture of the image is gone onto the internet, you lose control of it. And so now the other thing I've heard from you, Jessica, is that a lot of times these young girls and young boys, as they grow up, they live in fear because literally sickos who have watched them in these sexual acts as young kids or teenagers or whatever, uh, they get recognized on the street, right? The long-term impact, for example, psychologically is even if somebody doesn't necessarily recognize them, they're concerned about why is somebody smiling at me? Why are they being kind to me? Why are they paying attention to me? Is it because they saw my pictures? Is it because they saw these videos? And so sometimes it might be because they do recognize them because that person was downloading these types of images and these child abuse videos. But other times it is a survivor having to have that mental battle in her mind or his mind of what is the reason why this person's even just being kind to me? Why are they looking at me? And that type of a challenge is extremely difficult to overcome for survivors. It's an educational problem with, see, we, we have this issue where I did not, you know, when I, when I was a kid and a teenager, you know, I went through a lot of things that I can now help my kids with, right? Dating problems, bullying problems, driving a car, right? These are all things that we all do. Well, one thing I never did was be a teenager in the era of the internet and deal with those temptations to be two clicks away from pedophiles who would hurt me or, you know, images that could hurt my, my brain. Um, pornography and other and other issues like that. So um, that that educational gap has been a major problem because these kids get access to the internet and they don't know how to responsibly conduct themselves. You know, and mom, I've talked to these parents who said, no, my kids have to be safe because I saw their Facebook pages. It's beautiful. It's, it's wholesome. Well, well it, it might be, but it's also always two clicks away from hell. Do you understand that? And, and, and that's something that those of those of us parents who who haven't gone through that, they don't have they have no idea what you're talking about. They they can't comprehend how the internet works even uh, in a lot of cases. Things are better than they were in the last you know five ten years, uh, but still, our kids know way too much and way more than we know about these things. But they know just enough to be dangerous. And when you consider that there's two million children currently forced into commercial sex in the world and that the the the, the populace with the um you know the biggest this this the biggest demand is the united states so consider what if there's two million children in the in in currently in the in the uh, sex trade what kind of demand would justify that number how many sick twisted predator pedophiles have to exist to justify that number. A lot, like I said, a lot of them are in the United States. We're the number one country for demand. Where are they? They're online. They're waiting for your kid to make that two-click mistake and end up in their lair. And they have traps all over the place. They have false Facebook pages. They have false Instagram pages. And they all want to be your friend. And they, they're using a picture that's enticing to a young girl or a young boy. And, and they want to be their friend. So the, the key and to understand, make sure they understand what these dangers are. 
because th- these um, these predators are they're, they're absolutely everywhere, and and especially right now, this is a scary time right now, because all of our kids are online because all their schools online now. They don't have. I mean, at my house, we have eight kids set up on six computers, and it's crazy time, right? And and it's like, and you know who knows this? All those pedophiles, all those predators know this right now. And they're, and guess what? They're not at work either. <laughs> they're at home in their man cave waiting with idle time. So it's a very dangerous time right now during during all this, this quarantine lockdown. And we have to be especially vigilant and, and, and educate our kids and stay close to our kids. Don't give your kids access to unlimited private internet. You know, I, I talk to families or you know parents and I, I say, would you ever let your kid go bar hopping, you know, on a Friday night? Would you let your 12 year old daughter go clubbing in, in, in downtown L.A.? Would you, in a bikini. Oh my gosh. Yeah, 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 right. In a bikini. <laughs> no, are you kidding? And, but you will let them close the door and have private access and full access to the Internet. Are you crazy? I would say that option B is more dangerous than option A because they are now in the, they have millions of people that can now access them, tempt them, lure them. And a lot of these kids, even good kids start taking their clothes off because they think it's the captain of the football team from the next town over, but it's not, it's some 300 pound monster sitting in Orlando, Florida. (laughs) Um, I just picture a town, Nick, because (laughs) <laughs> I, I appreciate that. No, and, and that's totally true. And, and Jessica, talk a little bit about uh, the the vulnerabilities. One of the things that I know, particularly when people are on right. So right now, again, one thing is the reason why we're doing this right now. This is relevant at any time, but I, I unfortunately, it, it breaks my heart to know that there's a surge in child exploitation happening right now. It literally has to be because you have people who I'm doing a, a live stream tomorrow at two o'clock with some addiction experts because. Addicts have an itch they have to scratch, and they can either do it in, you know, as as the doctor says, an adaptive way or a maladaptive way. And people with child pornography addictions are doing it in a very maladaptive way, but they have to do it while, like, they can't, especially now they're locked up at home where they don't even have to see anybody. They're literally probably not doing any of the work they're supposed to be doing. They're going down rabbit holes, getting deeper and deeper into nastier and nastier things. And, and then you have others who are trying to help them feed that addiction, probably for money. Uh, who are trying to lure more and more and more kids in. And right now, I mean, it's a lonely time for a lot of kids. Jessica and I were talking before you got on, Tim, like a lot of parents, like I have, thankfully my wife is in the other room sort of, you know, making sure all the kids have what they need while I'm on this podcast. But there's a lot of, you know, single parent families who have the, the person has to work for their livelihood or they can't eat and they can't monitor their kids and their kids supposed to be online doing schoolwork. And, and then when they're done with their work, they're maybe playing video games or whatever else it might be. But this is, there, there are huge vulnerabilities. We'll talk about video game vulnerabilities in a minute because I think that's also a huge one that I never really thought about. Fortnite, Roblox, even the Tonka Truck game. Jessica will go into that. Jessica, talk about how how people who are vulnerable are recognized on Facebook. Like, so when these predators are looking on Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat, what are they, what are they looking for, and what creates vulnerability that's very easy to identify? Yeah, I, I would probably answer that in two ways. One, it can be anyone. It, the vulnerabilities expand every economic and every um, background possible. But some of the things that traffickers typically look for is a child that might be in the foster care system, a 
child that might be looking for additional um, attention, that they their self-esteem might be low, uh, they're looking for additional um, resources, such as maybe that child's coming from poverty. And then the trafficker starts to say, well, I can buy you a cell phone. I can buy you an iPod. I can buy you all these different things where those types of vulnerabilities, they're ready to exploit. They're ready to take those things and say, I will meet those needs. And then they start saying to children that uh, might feel insecure about the way they look. Oh, you're beautiful. Oh, you're handsome. Oh, you could do all of these different types of things. One of the things it literally just happened a few days ago, somebody reached out because there is a 10 year old girl and they said to a trafficker was reaching out to her online and said, you could be a model. And what a great time for you to start doing modeling because you're at home and you can make money and you can do all these different things while you're at home. And the vulnerability as we're all doing our part in this quarantine time and we're all helping keep each other safe and healthy is the opposite side of the computers and and we have to remember phones too. I think sometimes parents forget that they might be monitoring computers, but our phones are just as as powerful as our computers. And so making sure that we have the strict um, guidelines on whatever that looks like in your family, but text messages, you can send videos through text messages, you can send it through WhatsApp, you can send it through all these different platforms now that... But we just really encourage parents to be monitoring those because our phones become vulnerabilities as well. So these posts where I, I see it a lot with girls, boys do it too, but I see a lot of girls like sort of this woe is me. I, I can't, you know, my boyfriend dumped me or like, I don't feel pretty today. Or like the more you show your vulnerabilities and loneliness, uh, people don't realize like by letting your kid do that, just, I think you just need to monitor because as if you see your kid posting something on Instagram or something, that's like that, that looks at, I'll call it attention seeking, whether it's, whether it's positive or negative attention seeking, they are seeking attention. And there's someone, uh, there's a monster on the other side of that phone. There's millions of monsters, unfortunately, who are ready to scoop that up. So I think that that's important to note, uh, you know, how much you overshare, we'll call it on Facebook or, or Instagram. I'm so old. I keep talking about Facebook on Instagram or, or Twitter or whatever it is. Like at least oversharing. Don't say MySpace. Yeah, yeah. We're doing good. Uh, Tom, Tom is everyone's friend on MySpace. Um, so, but, but then this leads into this other thing. So we just actually were talking about Instagram uh, leading from the, 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 from my, MySpace to Facebook to Instagram. And here's the thing. It, it's always going to be something new, something else. Okay. So one of the things I didn't understand back in the old days of trafficking, there were, uh, you know, people would traffic where people were hanging out, which would be, malls and movie theaters and department stores, whatever it is, and they would find whatever they could to lure a kid in and give them what they wanted uh, in order to get them to start, you know, to, to groom them and get them reliant. I've even heard stories now of people sneaking, mailing cell phones to kids that they aren't telling their parents about. They have an extra cell phone and then they don't want to take it away. And then it's another way a tracker can get them uh, to do things. So, but okay. So now I heard stories. And I was mortified of kids being trafficked on Fortnite. Fortnite, kids being trapped on Roblox, which is even a younger game, uh, typical younger player. And then even, Jessica, you told me a story about a kid being trafficked on a Tonka truck game. I believe it's a seven-year-old little boy, and it had a message board on it. I'd love you to share that story 
And also, I think the thing we need to know as parents is wherever people are gathering, this is an opportunity. So the the evolution of that has gone from shopping malls and movie theaters to Facebook and Instagram and texting. But what I want you to be thinking of is because we can't, we don't even know what's coming next. My kids are playing Call of Duty and I'm sure it's happening there too, but it's anywhere people can connect. There are predators who will pretend they are something else and will try to lure you in to get you to do what they want you to do. And they will pretend they're something else. They'll try to learn in cases of, of particularly, I think younger girls will try to learn or this young boy to a Tonka truck where you live, where you go to school. Like you also got to tell your kids, I, I, my rule is don't ever play online with someone who you've never met face to face. And, and, and your friends are going to try to bring them in the room, right? Your friends are like, Oh, that's Jimmy's cousin. I'm like, yeah, but let's, let me ask you the one question. Have you ever met Jimmy's cousin face to face? Well, no. And so, you know, I don't, we can't be, I understand I can't watch every move my kid makes and I can't enforce every possible thing, but what I can try to do is help them start to think. So education is, is crucial and important during all this, but it is having some simple rules like that rules. Like Jessica, you mentioned having, you know, my kids all know that their cell phone contract is not in their name. It's in my name. And if they start sending pictures around of underage people naked, like that's on me, like that's not happening. So I got the password to, and I, and my wife and I, it feels a little weird. Like my oldest son is 15 now. feels a little weird checking all his stuff, but it's only for his own good. It also, I think would help us identify if he was being bullied or if something else is happening. He was on a group text recently with some older boys at the high school. And we realized how, loose some of the language was on there and so it was an opportunity for us to step in and say hey i can't control these kids but in our home you know our goal as christians is we want to serve jesus well we mess up every day daddy says some things i shouldn't say every now and then but like what i want you to start thinking like what kind of life do you want to live and it, it allowed me to open that conversation even though it sort of feels weird to check my 15 year old's phone right and so jessica tell us the story about the, the tonka truck game which is a tragic story and uh We'll we'll talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, I mean, it's a really sad story because it's a little boy and he's so young. He's a seven-year-old child and he was so innocent. But what happened was there was the message on the side where you can do all the everything from DMs to reaching out to people. And I think the what happened basically was somebody who was pretending to be his age started to say, Things like, I'm your friend. I like what you're doing. I like this game. And so trying to connect, having these emotional connections and connecting on common interests, but then luring them in with, well, can you do something on TikTok? TikTok is one of the things that people forget all the time. Um, There's cute videos that are produced and the children on there are darling all the time. But traffickers use that to then take somebody from, for example, from a Tonka truck game with little children to, can you produce a video on TikTok? And kids start to know about these different platforms at such a young age. And you you have a two-year-old that knows how to access a phone. So when they know how to open a phone, how to open a computer, it can go so quickly from an innocent little game to uploading a video and the child and the not even realizing what's happening until it's already happened. And so again, having these conversations with your kids before it happens so that if it does happen, they know that they can talk to you and hopefully preventing 
this ever happening to your child, to any of our children because of just the access and the different platforms that people are using. Yeah. And I think it's really important to note here too, that the, this, your kid goes from normal to instant living hell. If this happens, I mean, it's all, it is a, the death of life as they knew it, which is very sad. There's a lot of kids who get lured into this stuff. You guys know better than I do, but to tell the people who are watching who get lured into this stuff and you'll have, you know, a girl or a boy in an upper middle-class home, gated neighborhood, successful parents go to church on the weekends kids was a straight A student. And all of a sudden the kid is suicidal and the parents can't figure out why. And it's like, you have everything or you're, you know, what happened, what changed, what, and it's, and it could be something as evil, but as simple as falling for giving a kid, another kid in their grade. When you talk about that, another kid who used to be a boyfriend, a naked picture or video. And then that person then using it to bully this person saying, Hey, I've heard stories of using images that were sent when people were boyfriend and girlfriend, uh, using it to then either uh, just just completely bully the other partner in the relationship or uh, to use it to actually make the person who sent the video do sexual acts with friends of the other person. So, hey, I have these videos of you. You're going to sleep with all my friends or I'm going to share this with everybody. And so it's just mind blowing that someone could even think to do that. But again, once once you videotape or take a photo of yourself naked you and you send it to anyone or even if you just keep it on your phone i wouldn't advise that either because people do hack phones and we had that big apple icloud hack a couple years ago it is not safe it's just not a good idea i don't know how many times i can just say just don't take naked pics like or videos this would just be a great thing if you could just not take naked photos or naked videos would be a very very wise thing um i i had a question a follow-up on that um but I don't remember it because I got so passionate about not taking naked photos and videos. Um, Jessica, I think I mentioned your name. Did you catch what I was going to ask you or not? I would just say one of the things that you said was you can't control everything. We can't control every single thing that's happening and how to have that conversation though with your kids where it's not, I want to lock you in your room with no technology and I'm going to keep you safe and creating this. Uh, overly controlling environment instead of a relational environment. One thing that I encourage parents to do is talk to your kids as if they are the expert and they're going to teach their friends. And so if you can have it where you're empowering your children with this knowledge and these resources as, as they are interacting with their kid, their friends, because in addition to that, where do teenagers typically go to get advice? They go to their friends. They get counseling from their friends. And so teenagers don't always give each other the best advice. But if we can help our kids get in that mindset of, I'm not just here for me, but I'm here to help protect my friends as well. And by knowing this information and by knowing this knowledge, I can share this with my friends of how traffickers are grooming us and they're trying to get us to do these things. Let's be a unit and making sure that we protect each other and that this doesn't happen to one of our friends because we love each other. Yeah, absolutely. And and playground advice is uh, is bad advice. That's sort of what I tell my my kids. If you're getting your best advice in the playground, it's probably not very good advice. I've been throwing up a few comments here. Thank you, everybody who's commenting. Uh, we appreciate the comments. We're glad. We're just really trying to get this info out so that you know how to protect yourself. Another another scenario I heard about was 
uh, a boy and girl having sexual relations and one of them recorded it without the other one knowing. And then they used that video to uh, extort them into doing other things and sleeping with one of their friends or, or multiple friends. And sometimes, again, often this leads into a life of, of hell. Uh, you mentioned earlier, Jessica, about modeling. Um, this is one of the things that in, in this influencer age, I, I posted a, a tongue-in-cheek post on Facebook yesterday. Finally, everyone's not begging to go viral when this virus is the thing that is killing, you know, killing people, sadly, in our country. Finally, this is not a thing anymore. Like, I want to go viral. I think people still want to, but they're just not using that term anymore. But, you know, we've got to be People want so much attention. Uh, people who aren't getting attention at home or aren't feeling validated it is sad. And unfortunately, they are they when someone starts, they start taking photos. You know, I, I've seen, you know, kids as young as 10, 11 years old taking photos that I don't think they know it even, but they're they're sexual. They they are sexualized poses of you know little girls in bikinis and things like that. And it's like, man, and the more they, they get attention, the more they seek this attention, someone says, hey, you should be a model. Okay, great. And then I've heard stories. I know I've heard some of them from you guys where people will go to a photo shoot, a, a young girl, even a 16 or 17 year old. Maybe her parents aren't supportive. Maybe they're not around. Maybe they are addicts themselves. They don't want to tell anybody they're going to go do this thing. And they go and, and they get talked into a photo shoot of, do, of taking off a little more clothing here, a little more clothing there. And suddenly there's naked photos now of this person. and they are now going to get sucked into a life of being trafficked. And yet again, if they don't have someone they can come and talk to from the moment they make the mistake, there's a big problem. If they don't feel like they have someone they can come to and talk about opportunities like going to a modeling photo shoot and help understand the answers. Thankfully, Tim, you introduced me to a guy who's doing some great things, uh, Models Against Trafficking. There's some, there's some people really fighting a great fight, OUR being one of them. Uh, OURrescue.org. Is that right, Tim? OURrescue.org? That's right. Yep. Awesome. Uh, you guys should donate. Definitely donate to OUR, Become an Abolitionist. This is modern day slavery. This is something that is happening underneath all of our noses. Uh, I think Glenn Beck, our mutual friend, Tim, said it best that, uh, you know, people often say, man, if I was alive in the time of slavery, I would have I would have never let that go under my nose. Well, many of us are letting it happen uh, right under our noses now. It leads me to a question. A friend of mine, Ryan Stuman, asked me yesterday, um, how much does it cost? I'm well. Let's talk about how much it costs to save a kid from 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 actual like going in and extracting kids, and either in the U.S. or different companies doing stings and stuff like that. But then, uh, how much it costs per child to rescue? So people understand what you guys are doing, and maybe some stats of who you rescued. And then, secondarily, he asked an interesting question: When we're talking about online trafficking like this, what does it take to rescue someone from this? Uh, and and is it a different number? Is it the same number? Because he wants to raise a bunch of money to help uh, rescue some more kids. So let me, I'll, I'll address the second question first. Um, you know, how, how do you attack the problem that's the, the online? And we're talking about bullying and, and, and you, you know, you described it uh, accurately. Nick. It's trafficking. And this is how kids who live even in affluent homes and neighborhoods can be trafficked and are being trafficked. And they can't tell anyone. I mean, it's, it is hell on earth for, for, for these kids. Um, so how do we combat that? At, at, at OUR, it's all about providing the tools that are necessary. So um, we have to find the bad guys. Who are the bad guys who are on the other end going into social media platforms, becoming the friends and followers of kids? Who are they? Where are they? Well, we have uh, the tools to to find them. There's, there's different things we can't even reveal here that 
different kinds of software that are being utilized here and in, in, in our labs overseas that we build um, that allow us to identify them. And then once we identify their lo- their location, then law enforcement can do a search warrant and then find everything. And that's where you find the kids who are being hurt. Now, one thing that we provide are digital um, forensic mobile labs. So this is a very important tool that we're pushing out right now. We're in the process of building uh, more as we speak. So back when I was a government agent, uh, uh, we would do raids on these houses, but the lab that had to take in the, the digital forensic material, the, la- the laptops, the computers, the cell phones, and so forth, it'd be at least six months before we could even get our stuff reviewed and, and forensically an- uh, analyzed just because of the demand. Well, that caused us to, not, to never get permission to actually arrest these predators. We know they're the worst people on the planet. We know they're hurting kids. Um, but if we can't prove an actual nexus to a child right now, right here, right now, they're not going to let us arrest the kid. That we arrest the uh, the uh, predator, um, and, and the truth is, the evidence of what he's actually doing is in that computer. But we can't find out for six months what's in it, and we can't arrest them because of the speedy trial clause in, in our constitution. When you arrest someone, they could have a trial quickly, and uh, which and is a good it, thing, right? I mean, that is a good, is a good thing. thing. I, I totally yeah. support it. I totally support it. However. We can't get it done in time, so we have to wait until it's done before we go arrest and then start the clock. So I had cases in my career where we would finally, after six, seven, eight months, finally get the, the data, finally get the evidence, and finally get to go arrest the guy, and then find out through that material or through later interviews that he abused children in that window between when we did the search warrant and when he was arrested. He had plenty of time, and it's just, it's inexcusable. We have to bridge that gap. And that's what we do at OUR is bridge that gap by pro- providing these mobile labs. And the, the mobile labs allow law enforcement to sit in the lab while the search is going on in the house. They're out on the curb, outside in front of the house. As, they're interrog- as the cops inside are interrogating, searching, the digital forensic officers are in the, in the mobile lab, literally doing the digital forensic analysis right then and there. By the time they're done with the interrogation, they have enough in the bag, locked and loaded to go to trial and we can now start, they can start, start arresting these, these people. Um, a, a kind of complementary tool that goes along with this is our, is our canine units that are uh, digital forensic canines. You, you've had some experience with those, Nick, um, you had some of those work. Yeah, this, this is, everyone needs this and very few jurisdictions have them. These dogs sniff out digital media, the smallest little thumb drive they can sniff out. Why is this important? Because these pedophiles know that they're, they carry a big liability, breaking the law like they are, and so they keep their digital, their, their child exploitation material, which is the lead that's going to lead to finding children. They keep it in a, in a, on a, on a um, small digital media device that they can hide in the carpet, hide in the floor. Like an SD card, right? right. Or a exactly. micro SD or a thumb drive. Exactly. And these dogs sniff out everything, and that allows us to then find the kids. So we have, we have over a dozen dogs deployed right now, and, and they each – you know, we, we have the number of rescues that each of those dogs has made through their efforts in, in finding this evidence. But we're so far short. I mean, very few of these dogs are out there in existence. Um, so we are pushing really hard to get the law enforcement units all throughout the United States and the world, eventually, to get these, these canine units. Um, that's how you combat this problem online. Now, to put a number on it, 
these digital forensic labs cost about a half a million dollars. The dogs are about anywhere between fifteen and twenty thousand um, dollars. And and but then it's 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 perpetual now, right? Once the mobile lab is out or the dogs out, it's 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 evergreen. It's forever. They're going to be doing rescues for their entire lifetime. Um, so uh, so it's it's hard to put a specific number. How many kids will will a mobile lab rescue? Well, thousands in, in the long run. Um, so and then when we do our rescues, uh, when we're doing more kind of the the hands on uh, doing a kind of undercover work where we work directly with governments, that's most that's our foreign work mostly. It's it's roughly about twelve to fifteen hundred dollars a child, um, average, to to extract a child, um, and then the aftercare part kicks in, and 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 what those costs are, I, I can let Jessica speak to that. I mean that's is very dependent on each case, of course, um, but that's the that's the extraction cost of, of each child. Excellent, and, and aftercare is such a big part of that, Jessica. I don't uh, I don't want to forget it. One thing I do want to talk about when you're talking about extraction. Uh, Tim, uh, you and I went down to Haiti together and filmed a film called Operation Toussaint that showed some extraction and a raid and some other stuff. Actually, you're, you're a little jealous. I got my Operation Toussaint shirt on here. <laughs> but uh, you guys can watch that on Amazon right now, Operation Toussaint, it's called. Uh, it's free to stream if you have time. It'll show you what Tim and his guys do every day and what Jessica does in aftercare. Um, I have a couple more questions. Jessica, talk a little bit about aftercare. Of course, look, the, the one of the biggest vulnerabilities, and I learned this from you guys, so I'm just repeating it, is when someone gets rescued, their their vulnerability of getting sucked back into it or thrown back into it, you have to be so careful about how you handle aftercare and helping them get the mental help they need because this is trafficking is really a, a mental problem. They these these women and boys who've been trafficked, it's all it's all mental abuse. That's why they think. They think that this person, in many cases, who's trafficking them is is really important to them, loves them, and is doing what's best for them. Like they've been really taken through the ringer mentally. Talk about a little bit about that, and then what the aftercare process looks like. Yeah, the psychological abuse is extremely challenging to overcome. I think that that's one of those things where people talk about PTSD, but when you work with survivors that really have to face that on an ongoing basis for years. It's um, it's an ongoing challenge. And so I think one of the things that we really focus on within aftercare is making sure services are holistic so that there is mental health is a part of every aftercare home and the partners that we work with. We really help support that side of things and then everything from social integration so that you know how to a child knows how to reintegrate into society in a, in a safe manner. Um, there's things like, uh, vocational training. We help support a lot of vocational trainings. If, you know, on an international level, if somebody doesn't have a livable income, which is something that we're all facing right now of the economic crisis that's happening and will happen, but 80% are at high risk of being sexually exploited again, if they don't have a livable income. And so, even currently, the aftercare side of things, we've we've tripled our support for our aftercare home partners, for individual survivors that we've helped in the past to make sure that their businesses that they're able to maintain through this time. But the to go back to the psychological side, it is is it's extremely challenging, and I think um, if somebody hasn't been through it, one of the things that they can do is have compassion and to not try to 
for someone to just get over it. Because there's things that survivors have said that people have said to them that have destroyed them and have hurt them so much because it's people that haven't been through things that they want to support, but then they say things that are actually really hurtful. So I would say compassion if you're working with a survivor. Um, if somebody's reaching out to you that has been through a lot, encourage them to seek mental health support. We have therapists that we work with that we're able to provide free therapy to survivors that we work with. Uh, we work with a horse therapy or equine therapy place that provides free services for survivors. So there are resources out there. And sometimes it's taking that step of reaching out. If you are a survivor or if somebody knows someone that's a survivor, we want to be able to really help and support each other through these times. And um, just remember, it's not a quick fix. It's a a battle, sometimes a lifelong battle of the psychological impact that they have faced. Yeah, great. And we want every every parent or teenager, anyone who's watching this right now or watches it later, to to try to to understand that all the things we're telling you about are so we can help you try to avoid an an entire lifetime of having to even get into that battle. The other thing I think is really important to notice, yeah, this is just like what well, comes along with anxiety, depression, many other mental things that are invisible. And so uh, it's really, you have to recognize that someone who has been trafficked, you can't see it on the outside. You typically cannot see, you don't even know. And so if you, uh, number one, try to be on the lookout for people who you feel like might be reaching out and you're not sure why they might be trying to tell you something and be patient. And then, uh, and also, yes, we just all have to be better at not being judgmental in this world because there are people who are, who are suffering silently and we just can't see it. So that's one of the hardest things about trafficking. Uh, Tim, I, this is a great question. Uh, Maria asked, she's wondering if traffickers don't learn different methods of how to approach kids as information like this is publicized. I'm sure you get asked that all the time. Uh, from what I've seen, the traffickers are like 80 steps ahead. But talk about that a little bit. Like, Are we giving traffickers great ideas right now? Well, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's something that always comes up, but we have no choice. First of all, all you can do, yeah, if, if they're going to, if they're going to change in adapt, we have to change in adapt to keep after them. We can't stay silent because if, if we stay silent, we gave up, they won. So, um, you know, they, so yeah, we, we are telling families, here's what they're doing. Here's how they're acting. There's, there's, there, you know, there's, there's no other way to, to confront the problem without giving people education. Are they going to adapt? Sure. And we adapt with them. Um, and then we give new instruction. That's why this is not a one-time class, a one-time, you know, pot, a podcast. People need to stay on this and 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 innovate as as new technologies jump up. Um, uh, and and as you know, every every platform has its own unique opportunity for traffickers. Every time a new social media platform is developed, they're going to find a way to 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 compromise and manipulate it and use it to hurt kids. And and so that's why us adults and, and guardians and parents, we need to know what these new apps are, what the new social media platforms are, how they work. So th this is a lifetime commitment mm -hmm. to, 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 to parents and those who are taking care of children to stay on top of the information and, and all the new tools that are out there. Um, but yeah, we, ha we have no choice but to reveal to parents right now what is being done to their kids and then we just have to keep following up and keep up with the bad guys. 
Educate, educate, educate. That's what it's all about. I really encourage you guys to share this message. Uh, it just, it will help a ton of people because I know from my point of view, and I've, we're now making our fourth film. You'll see it coming out this year called It's Happening Right Here, all about trafficking in America. Be on the lookout for it. But none of the parents, I didn't know any of this stuff. And I'm pretty internet savvy. No one I've ever talked to about these things outside of you guys who do it every day uh, knew any of this stuff. I can guarantee you that everyone around you in parenting circles, grandparents, everyone does not know this information or 99% of people do not understand this stuff. Please, please, please share this. It will save a lot of lives. I also got to say, if there's someone watching this somehow who has been exploited or feeling, uh, feeling vulnerable, feeling like they need help, please reach out to OURrescue.org. There are so many great resources OUR has for you uh, to help you out. Don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed. Uh, even if you didn't realize and you feel like, man, I made a stupid decision, that's okay. Reach out. We want to make sure you get the help that you need because it's not your fault. Um, all right. So we, we got a couple minutes here left. Um, uh, Jessica, any, any parting words, anything you think people need to know before we, before we bail out of here? I would say we do have a free training. It's an hour long training on our website. If you want to learn more about trafficking and how it works, please feel free to do that. This is a great time since we do have time right now to have that additional education. And for anyone that has been trafficked or is feeling hopeless, I just want to say there's always hope. There's always people that do want to help. And so I encourage you to continue to reach out to different people during this time. And for those that are um, helping survivors, please continue. Everyone, we need each other right now. And I think the power of love, if that's something that we haven't focused on yet, we can focus on right now. Love really does have an impact and caring about each other is what is going to make the difference in people healing and, and really going through that journey. It's great. Tim, uh, you've got lots of resources, books. Tim's got all sorts of awesome stuff. Follow him on social media at Tim Ballard uh, at OUR Rescue. Tim, what are your, your final parting words? Just everyone do something. Get get involved. Um, you know, it's daunting, the numbers. I'm going to repeat them again. The fastest growing criminal enterprise in the world is this, is the selling of human beings. $150 billion a year business. So uh, understand how big this is. People have a hard time grasping this. With the money that's made every year in the selling of people is equivalent. You could take all that money and buy every Starbucks franchise, every NBA team, and still have enough money left over to send every U.S. child to college for four years. Okay, so, so that's what we're talking about, something we've never seen ever in the history of the world. How did we conquer the legalized form of slavery that existed in this country? For 300 years, it went on. How, why did it finally end? Um, it wasn't that Abraham Lincoln raised his hand one day and just said, I'm going to end this now. It's not what happened. What happened was people got involved and they got so loud. Uh, they, the abolitionist movement, Harriet Tubman, Frederick Douglass, Sojourner Truth, Harriet Beecher Stowe wrote her book, Uncle Tom's Cabin. And, and people are like, what? This has been going on? They didn't even realize it. You know, uh, people in northern states, they didn't travel to the southern states any more than you or, you or I travel into trafficking areas. And so the parallels are very similar. And you mentioned this earlier, Nick, and I think it's something that's really motivating to people like, because they like to say, I would have been an abolitionist, right? I would have done it. I wish I could have lived back in those times. Well, you're living it right now. And if you, if you would have been then, you probably would be already. So be it now, do it now. And the best thing people can do is just 
if, if nothing else, talk, talk, talk. You know, when, when Lincoln met Harry Beecher Stowe for the first time, he actually said to her, he said, so you're the lady that wrote the book that started this war. It, it, was, it was the people that got so loud that the government had to move and a war broke out over it. Okay. Or at least the war was repurposed for that the purpose of, of, of getting rid of slavery because the people were so loud. We have to get loud. We're not nearly loud enough. You know, when we come home from these operations, I was in Iraq with, with you, Nick, and you know, we, we see this little girl just a couple weeks ago, right? That was just pulled out of an organ harvesting ring, right? Three yeah. weeks. And then you come home and you see the headlines that are, there are the headlines in the news. I'm talking about before the Corona uh, pandemic, but what, what, what the headlines are, right? Who, who can poke someone in the eye better? Who can one up the other person? This is what we're talking about. Who's lying? I'm going to accuse you. In my mind, the headline should be, you know, millions raped, of children raped today, this year. Okay. Uh, until we solve that problem, let's, let's, let's solve that problem first. And then we can get into our little blue and white tribal wars and all that stuff. And it's frustrating to me that people are not focused on what's most important right now. They're not uh, engaged enough. And so how do we get them engaged? Well, we, we, we need Harry Beecher Stowe's. And, and Nick, frankly, you're, you're one of the best Harry Beecher Stowe's around right now. And so I would encourage, if I could have one ask today, it would be everybody go watch Operation Two Saint. And before you start it, ask yourself, go in with a prayer and say, God, what can I do? Tell me what to do while I'm watching this. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's writing something or doing a blog about it, doing a podcast, writing your, your, your elected officials or doing a fundraiser or finding an organization. It doesn't have to be ours. There's many organizations out there. Just something. And then at the end of the movie, figure out what it is, write it down, do it, and then send that invitation to three people who haven't seen the movie with a link and tell them, watch the movie and do the same thing. They send it to three. We have to recreate what the abolitionists taught us in the 19th century. We have to get so loud that someday the president, the future president of the United States, you know, reaches out and shakes our collective hand and says, so you're the people that wrote the book or wrote the letters or wrote the emails or, or did the posts or did the documentaries that started this war. Because we haven't really started the war yet. And, and we need to start the war on, on modern day slavery. Awesome. And great, great words of wisdom. Share this too. This will be archived on Facebook. We'll also put it out as a podcast. Everyone share this. There's so much information parents need. And they actually, they need it right now. Every person you share this with will help rescue and save a kid from even entering the gates of hell by getting involved in trafficking because they don't kids don't even know that they could be sucked into this either that's the saddest part like parents kids is just such it looks so differently than we thought and yes traffickers sell, sell drugs but they can only sell them one time i learned this from you guys too you can sell a kid over and over and over again and organ harvesting is a real thing people are getting abducted or taken and their organs are getting taken and shipped out of the country i don't think there's a lot of people a lot of kids getting shipped overseas or abducted out of the country right now but their organs are going in in the wrong cases their organs are getting shipped out overseas and black markets and other things like that don't have any time to go through that today uh, we'll have to do it again guys thank you so much for on short notice uh i'm just trying to do this series just to help people think about what what are some things we can be focused on while we're forced to be quarantined? Uh, couldn't do this out, you guys. You guys are fighting an amazing fight. It's an honor to be alongside you guys uh, in the fight. Uh, I love you guys. Love what you're doing. Thank you so much for joining me. And uh, Thank thanks you, everyone man. who tuned in. Make sure you like and subscribe and check out the next episode.